What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin? Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Moel Sayed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. Today, we're talking about crypto accessibility and mass adoption with one of the hottest projects in town, MoonPay. Historically, the process of entering and exiting the world of crypto, the so-called on and off ramp, has been crammed with frictions, but not anymore. MoonPay provides a payment infrastructure for crypto that enables you to access the realms of Web3 in a fast, simple, and secure way. Or as Jimmy Fallon put it, okay. MoonPay was like PayPal, but for crypto. The PayPal for crypto. And the good news is that MoonPay is now available in Ledger Live, meaning that you'll be able to explore its wide variety of options from within the security of your Ledger device. And we'll be exploring that in a minute. To do so, I'm pleased to welcome Ivan Soto Wright, co-founder and CEO of MoonPay. We'll be joined by Jean-François Rocher, aka JF, Ledger's VP for Payments and Transactions. Evan, JF, welcome to On The Ledger. How's it going? Amazing to be here. I'm excited to be on this rendezvous with you. Super happy to be here. Hello, everyone. First of all, congratulations to both of you on that integration. I'm pretty stoked to chat because, you know, accessibility and security are essential pillars that this ecosystem is truly in need of. So let's get going. On the Ledger, Season 2, MoonPay and Ledger on the path of onboarding the next billion users. Here we go. So... Even let's start kind of with the basics. Um, how would you explain MoonPay uh, to those uninitiated? Yeah, so simply, you know, we think crypto is the biggest thing since the internet. Uh, crypto is about making the exchange of value easier for anyone anywhere in the world. The internet was around making the exchange of information easier. And so if we think that's going to happen and we think that more and more value is going to be moving over this new language called the blockchain and the blockchain protocols that enable us to transfer this value seamlessly, then we need to bring as many people into this new reality as possible. So our job at MoonPay is we're building the backwards compatibility to the existing financial system. So that starts with debit and credit cards because there's billions of people that have Visa, MasterCards in their pockets. Uh, that means being able to turn on local payment methods to, for every single country. So in certain countries, being able to turn on bank transfers in every single geography. And we're just going to continue to build out this connectivity and do it in a way that converts and is as intuitive as possible for end users. Interesting. And, um, you know, speaking of the, the fact that MoonPay is now available in Ledger Live, um, obviously, you know, in terms of accessibility, it adds a lot of value. Uh, but JF, could you maybe talk to us more about, you know, uh, what would be the benefits uh, for Ledger users um, as now they'll be able to access it, you know, from within the security of the Ledger ecosystem. Yes, I think for for Ledger users, I think at Ledger you, you are within this cycle of trust. You you have the experience of the Nano, um, and and you feel confident about uh, about the way your assets are stored, but also you're looking for convenience. Um, and I think this this partnership with MoonPay and the fact that we welcome MoonPay in in the Ledger Live experience is just about that. Is, is maximum convenience. Uh, I think like an acclaimed service, and certainly we'll talk more about that, but around the world. So it's not just like in one country and, and there is tremendous complexity behind the simplicity you bring. Uh, all that uh, easy and, and connected to your Nano directly uh, in your Nano and this cycle of trust that Ledger represents. 
uh, for us, it's, uh, it's an honor to welcome you. Yeah, and I would say there's a, just a great alignment and values uh, between Ledger and, and MoonPay. Uh, when we built the service, um, we thought it was very important uh, that we built it in a way, you know, we think one of the most powerful things about crypto, and I think the narrative that was missed is there's many people around the world that don't have access to financial services whatsoever. And as long as they have access to the internet, you know, crypto comes from the word cryptography. Uh, they can set up a public wallet address and a private key that corresponds to that public wallet address. And that public wallet address, they can post anywhere on the internet and receive value from, from anyone. And so we really think the cryptocurrency wallet technology is really, for, it's a big deal because it's democratizing more and more people around the world that were underbanked or underserviced into financial services. And so, you know, for, for us, um, what's really important is people are able to take possession of their own private key. Um, and, and so when we built MoonPay, we enable people in the onboarding flow to input uh, their own wallet address. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of complexity to setting up your own set of private keys and your own uh, wallet. And, and Ledger is, is really the leader in cold storage um, and, and doing that in a secure way with a physical hardware device uh, that I think it makes a lot easier for people to intuitively understand. And so as part of my job uh, at MoonPay of onboarding as many people into crypto as possible. Um, it's great to have a partner like Ledger uh, and be able to share um, the, the tool and, and the ability for people to actually securely self-custody uh, their own private key. Yeah, that's a very interesting point uh, you touch on there. And, um, you know, this whole, you know, ethos of uh, digital sovereignty and decentralization and self-custody um, is something that, you know, has been there for years. But I think what, what kind of changed last year is uh, the emergence of you know, culture within the crypto ecosystem itself uh, and NFTs to be more precise. It feels like now this is kind of the Trojan horse that would enable us to, you know, basically put forward all of these values in a vehicle that would resonate and speak to everyone. Um, and, you know, with that regards, MoonPay has been making waves with the current onboarding stream of some of the biggest names in the world of, you know, um, um, uh, culture and entertainment into NFTs, um, you know, first by getting Jimmy Fallon Ape and then Post Malone. And then there's Lil Baby, Paris Hilton, Kevin Hart. <laughs> I probably forgot a few. Um, what's that all about? And, um, you know, uh, why the current focus on that, um, you know, cultural segment uh, of the entertainment industry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. If you look at the search volume trend today, NFTs have now overtaken crypto uh, in terms of search volume. That's a recent activity. But, you know, I think for the first time, crypto is really entering the cultural consciousness. I think there's been a number of different factors that have led us to this point today. I think one of the really interesting things that we've seen is this emergence and this idea of metaverse. I think, you know, one of the big things that happened last year was Facebook changing its name to Meta. You know, we can make fun of it or some people like to uh, give them a hard time about that name change. But I think, you know, it brought massive exposure and awareness to this idea of, you know, having a digital identity and having... Uh, digital property associated with that digital identity. And, you know, when I think about crypto and our journey so far, you know, Bitcoin is now over a decade old. I think Bitcoin has a very special purpose. I think other cryptocurrencies also have special properties that, that you know, whether it's Ethereum and its smart contract infrastructure or Solana with some improvements in terms of speed, you know, there, there are all these blockchains that are competing um, to, to essentially be the new interoperable format for this movement of value. And I think, you know, if you're in a developed country 
you know, the, the rationale to adopt, you know, a Bitcoin or some of these other cryptocurrencies, right? You might look at it from, okay, I have a, my portfolio construction hat on. This is my alternatives bucket. It's an uncorrelated diversifier to my overall portfolio. Therefore, I should be allocating some of my uh, overall net worth into this asset class. Uh, or if you ask someone on the street, they might be like, YOLO, you know, I was early on Bitcoin. I made money on Bitcoin or I've, I've made money being in early on, on some of these assets, right? But I think it hasn't really penetrated everyday life where we're using these cryptocurrencies to buy coffee, uh, really using them in the, in the sense of a currency. Um, you know, that really hasn't taken place over the last decade. I think there is a big opportunity for that in the future. Um, you know, I think especially with stable coins, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is merchants, right? Merchants don't want to necessarily accept currencies that are highly volatile, right? If they have to pay their bills, especially if they have to pay their bills in the local currency. So that's why I think stable coins will really make sense in terms of payments over the long term. But I think, you know, the reality is um, going back to it in terms of culture, you know, other than kind of the, the gains that people have experienced by investing in this overall new asset class, uh, it hasn't penetrated our everyday lives. And so what's so interesting to me, to me about NFTs um, is the fact that, um, you know, we can really tie NFTs to culture. We think that every artist, every musician, every athlete, uh, every entertainer has very valuable intellectual property that we think will find its way in a, into NFTs. And the reason why is there's just incredible economic incentives for them to do so. Uh, one of the really big examples that I use is, you know, and I, and I think also about the sequencing of the different industries that are going to be impacted by NFTs. And I think the one that's really interesting that we've seen so far has been art. When you set up a cryptocurrency wallet, that wallet can receive any form of value, right? And that value can represent an NFT. In the future, it can represent cryptocurrency, it can represent uh, security, it can represent commodities, it can represent anything that we can put in the physical world and, and ascribe a value to it could essentially go into these cryptocurrency wallets. And so if we think that the future, as I mentioned before, is more and more transactions settling over these different blockchains, we think NFTs are indeed going to be the gateway that gets people onto this new format of technology. Got it. And even, you know, speaking of on and off ramps, uh, MoonPay recently launched, um, you know, the world's first credit card NFT checkout. Um, what does it mean for um, your different providers and as well as their users? Yeah, so we, we really thought carefully, you know, one of the things that we're absolutely obsessed about at MoonPay is conversion, right? Um, if someone wants to start or has the intention to start a journey, uh, we want to do everything in our power to help them finish, right? Uh, and get to completion and ultimately get to the action that they were seeking to complete. And so, you know, the the, the big thing with, with NFTs, if you think about it today, um, it's still quite complex if you want to acquire your, your first NFT. You have to go set up your wallet, right? Um, you then have to uh, top up that wallet uh, with, with cryptocurrency. Uh, you have to make sure you have the right amount of cryptocurrency in that wallet. Then you have to interact with a smart contract. Then you take possession of the, the NFT. You know, it's many steps, especially for the first time user. Uh, that can be very cumbersome. And so one of the things that we've been working on is how do we abstract or remove as much of that complexity and make that journey easier for, for first-time users? And so the new solution that we've built, um, one, of the big, one of the big components is we, we charge your card uh, for the, the NFT uh, rather than for crypto, uh, which will have an impact on conversion, especially with uh, major banks. And what, what, what we do in the background is we take our own crypto uh, supply to the smart contract, take possession of the NFT, and then put it into your wallet that you designate. And so we think that's going to have a major uh, improvement in conversion in general. Um, you know, one of the big challenges is, you know, there's certain banks that don't like uh, you using your card uh, to buy crypto. Uh, not all banks, you know, have that position. But if we can 
improve the conversion rate from the banking components of being able to charge a card for digital goods and taking care of that crypto complexity underneath the hood, we think that's going to go a long way in terms of proving conversion and then also just reducing the number of steps, um, right? So you can claim it into your wallet after uh, you make your purchase versus before. Um, so again, it's just for us goes down to we've done many different A-B tests and all different scenario analysis of how do we how do we make that journey simpler? Uh, and that was a response um, with our new kind of checkout solution to that problem. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, it feels like, you know, the next step is having this feeling of um, dealing with a Web2 experience on the front end with a Web3 back end. So basically, you know, swiping a card and being able to buy an NFT. Uh, that, 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 is, that, that feels like the future, you know, to be, to be honest. Uh, and, and JF, you know, back to self-custody, uh, which is basically at the core of, of the ethos of this ecosystem. Um, but it's also kind of fair to say that uh, it's intimidating to newcomers. And if you're not dealing with NFTs, I think, you know, I don't remember exactly the data, but I think like 80% of the, the, the crypto, uh, um, of the, the world's crypto uh, is being custodied on exchanges. Um, how, how do you see kind of that, that, that evolution com coming from, you know, being able to provide this um, infrastructure to enable people to have, to trust themselves, to hold their own keys and, and you know, custody their assets? Um, because if, if we're not able to do that, it's, it feels like, you know, we're going back to a centralized model to some extent. I, I think this, this, is, this, is, this has to do with this vision of delivering something meaningful to people's life and, and changing life. And, and delivering the promise of crypto, uh, which is not, uh, as I was saying, it's not about trading on, on the promise of crypto and, and making money out of the future, it's delivering it. And, and that has to do with self-custody and, and not with a Potemkin village of crypto where you think you do crypto, but it's not crypto, it's, it's back to the same old thing. And, and I think we know what happened with uh, Web 2.0, where it was the promise of, okay, we all interact, we are so social and everything is great. And then where do you end up? You end up with something hyper-centralized where that, even data is confiscated. So that's about succeeding in, in doing this revolution. And having the entry point for, for what, what is the world of today and, and the financial world of today, uh, and also a, a point of interaction is a necessary condition. So I think what, what you're doing at, at MoonPay is, is absolutely essential to delivering the, the, the use case of crypto. Trusting yourself in many countries around the world, it's not an option. It's the only thing you can do. So self-custody is obvious for, for people. Uh, it's not necessarily the most wealthy countries, uh, but they're often paving the way. Trusting yourself, we talked about art and NFT. It seems obvious too. Uh, there are use cases around gaming. Uh, and there are in every country, even other serves market, there are communities for which like trusting yourself is not an option either. Uh, because you have to be... Uh, financially autonomous because uh, financial freedom is difficult for you. So I think we see all this happening. And, and for this to, to happen, we need to bridge with the existing world and, and the world of tomorrow. And I think a point of observation, looking at what happened before, this is happening, this is happening for real. Like cash has disappeared in so many markets. To the benefit of what? To the benefit of something relatively classic. But if we made cash disappeared uh, in Scandinavia and in Kenya, well, I think... It, the crypto revolution is on and this is happening in the same way and it will happen very fast and certainly communities to uh, which it's a need will, will show the way. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And you said a word there that kind of clicked with me is the word bridge. And I think that bridge is kind of a word that basically defines what MoonPay is. It's a, the bridge between the traditional finance and the decentralized realms of Web3. Um, but even the question that naturally comes to mind is, what are the challenges of being such bridge? Uh, because, you know, I suppose regulation could be a big one. But what, what else is there and how, how are you approaching that? Yeah, so obviously, you know, it, it's highly complex operating in every, you know, our, our ambition is to operate in every single geography where we're legally able to do so. And so, you know, being able to work with the different nuances across all the different components of this regulatory landscape, uh, it's just something that we have to be continuously on this journey of uh, learning and continuously on the journey of making sure we're doing everything in our power to stay compliant. And so one of the big things that we took very early on in the business, and it was quite controversial, was we felt that it was incredibly important that everyone went through KYC. Um, you know, and, and part of that is, you know, we know that over the long term, if you've done KYC, um, you know, the, the pain point for the customers, if they're going to have to do KYC multiple times, right, that's really painful. If they're going to have to do KYC many different times across many different platforms, to us, that didn't make sense. Um, and one of the really powerful things about MoonPay is obviously we have a whole ecosystem of applications and uh, everything Web3, but you can interact with MoonPay. And so what's quite cool is if as customer has onboarded anywhere within our ecosystem and has done KYC, they don't have to go through that KYC process again, which obviously for us over the long term means that we can convert more customers uh, more quickly and more frictionlessly uh, into their their crypto or, or Web3 experience. Um, but you know the other the other big piece is it also means that that customer can spend more over the lifetime because at some point uh, you're going to have to go through KYC. So we said let's do it. We're going to deal with that painful piece up front. And I think we're building one of the, the largest customer bases of, of KYC users on the planet, which is great. And I think it's it's quite similar to you know what we've seen uh, with you know PayPal, right? PayPal in the early days, um, it didn't. There's a reason why there's not five kind of PayPal businesses today. You know, they have 300 million customers where you have your saved details, and it makes it easier uh, for the user to interact with that world of e-commerce. We're trying to make that easier across kind of this world of Web3. So, you know, for us, uh, KYC, I think more governments for them, I think it's in their interest. They're really looking at two things. What Really, it's all always about protecting the consumer, right? And I think one of the other big areas for them is they obviously want to make sure uh, they can collect taxes if there are, you know, taxable financial gains on some of these assets. Uh, they're also wanting to stamp out concerns around money laundering uh, and making sure that they're uh, taking the appropriate steps to uh, fight terrorist financing and, and the rest. And so... Uh, that's why, you know, for us, it, it was really important to have that pillar uh, of KYC as, as part of the MoonPay experience. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of the, the other challenge is it's just having that continuous uh, commitment to excellence. Uh, one of the one of the really big things that I try to push inside the culture inside of MoonPay uh, is one word we use the word Kaizen. Uh, and Kaizen means uh, literally in Japanese, it means change for better. And it's always about those incremental improvements that over time really lead to exponential gains. Like if you improve 1% every single day over the course of the year, you're over 3000% uh, in terms of improvement over the year. And so um, I really try to drill that into the company in terms of everything that we do, right? So you know, every single experience, uh, every single uh, touch point for that customer, how are we improving it? How are we making it better? How are we looking at how we can make that experience more frictionless uh, to make that bridge going in and out uh, as best as possible? It's funny you mentioned PayPal because I, I actually spent uh, eight years of my life there. Um, and one thing I know is that what, what you're doing behind the scene is extremely complex. Not only you're in, 
like payment business, but high risk payment is the most difficult thing. So, so the, the way you, you make this complexity uh, disappear uh, to the benefit of customers, uh, it's, it's, it's super impressive already. It's super hard and, and you need really people who are super specialized in subjects that are so technical, uh, depend so much on, on the financial system, on banks, on stuff that was built sometimes in the in 70s. Um, I really admire the way you do it, and and I think you do it also with the the hype and and the simplicity uh, of a brand more like Venmo. So uh, so th that that's super cool, and and really uh, congrats on on doing that because it's it's quite a performance. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's obviously underneath the hood, as you mentioned, there's just there's tons of complexity. You think it would be simple, right? Like we just want to go from fiat into crypto, or we want to go fiat into an NFT. But there are so many different steps underneath the hood. And that's why really when I think about it and I step back from it at a macro level, it's really just this giant optimization function. And you have to be, you know, you have to realize that you can never be complacent because it's never going to be perfect. And there's going to be constantly tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and tweaks, different vendors that we can plug in, different ways that we can get more optimization, more conversion. You know, there's obviously one of the things that you mentioned, which is really interesting, is really this whole discussion around fraud. Um, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges that, you know, we face at MoonPay is the reality is we have to reconcile a non-reversible payment system, which is the blockchain. That's part of the beauty of the blockchain is we're trying to cut out a lot of the intermediaries and all the back office costs of trying to do reconciliation. That's one of the biggest costs for the traditional legacy banking system today is reconciliation. The blockchain does solve that. We have now this universal source of truth uh, that cannot be altered. However, that comes at the price when you're trying to interact with the legacy financial system of systems that are, in fact, reversible. So when you use your debit and credit card or you use your bank account, uh, that customer at any point can say, hey, I didn't make that transaction. Uh, sometimes it's called they call it friendly fraud, which is not friendly at all. I don't know why <laughs> that became the classification uh, for this. But friendly fraud is you know, a customer can knowingly just say, hey, I didn't make this transaction. And then we have to deal with the consequences of that chargeback, disputing that chargeback. Thankfully, we typically win those chargeback cases because we have indisputable proof over the blockchain that that, that asset was actually, in fact, delivered uh, to that end customer. But, you know, it's a huge admin burden, right, uh, that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, we also have to deal with, um, you know, th there's ob obviously uh, issues that, that, that customers face where sometimes they, uh, you know, are dealing with bad actors. And so we will have to, you know, investigate, put all the work around making sure we can reconcile and resolve those cases. And so, um, you know, fraud in general um, is a heavy lift and we want to take as much of that pain out uh, from any of our partners. And so we said from the beginning, you know, it made sense that if we could have the intelligence of really doing this at scale across many different transactions, we were going to get better and better at being able to come up with models for us to do it better and better because you really need that data. That data is quite unique and very specific. Like this high risk payment transaction hasn't really existed in traditional e-commerce in this way, right? They didn't have this this weird uh, you know nuance with a reversible and non-reversible payment method. And so we've tried to build a lot of expertise and specialism around that, and we're just constantly committed to that journey of, of making that better and better and better. But yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges that that we face at MoonPay. I think one the most difficult thing in your business is to say yes, it's not to say no. And I think when you want to buy crypto. For many people, it's, it's a difficult experience. And, and, and the fact that you're about saying yes to the maximum of people who are well-intended and well-legitimate, uh, I think this is the, the essence of the, of the great experience that you provide. And in so many cases, people are saying no, 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 almost all the time. Then it becomes, of course, an, an, easy, an easy type of business. Uh, but enabling, enabling people who are in need around the world of getting into crypto, as soon as they are legitimate, 
uh, is very difficult. And, and, and uh, so I, maybe you can mention a bit that, like the, this capacity of saying yes to always more people in a legitimate fashion, I think it's, it's really something you're, you're doing really well. Yeah, so that that's that just all goes down to the logic, right? Uh, and making you know a risk-based decision. Um, you know, the good news is, you know, because we we do the KYC upfront, we're able to reduce that risk considerably around fraudulent uh, customers, right? Because uh, obviously, the more information that we're able to collect, the more likely we're able to accept that transaction based on that data. So I think that's what's also quite unique, right? That hasn't really been the case for a lot of other high-risk payment transactions. Um, is the fact that we have to collect the KYC as part of our process, part of our duty um, with being able to be compliant across all the different geographies that we service. Yeah, lots of things to be done there and lots of, lots of things you're doing. And you, you know, you've expressed a great ambition about you know, onboarding a billion people uh, onto crypto uh, by 2030. Um, how are you going to be doing that? You know, obviously now you've got a set of different services and functionalities, but I'm, I'm, you know, I suppose you'll be building on top of that. Can you give us any sneak peeks? Yeah. So, so everything comes down to, you know, I'm really obsessed with understanding like distribution points, right? Like what are the distribution points that are going to take us to a billion people? And so first you can look at the, the set of distribution points in terms of like the core infrastructure, which is, you know, obviously if we're trying to bring all these people in and building the backwards compatibility, what are all the different payment methods that we can tap on? And obviously Visa and MasterCard, great, because it's billions of people that already exist on that network. Uh, and then you can kind of go country by country and say, okay, what is the penetration of debit and credit cards in this geography? What is the penetration rate of these other payment methods? And prioritize, you know, and, and for me, one of the most important principles that I use in business is 80-20 rule, right? What are the, where am I going to get 80% of, what are the 20% of activities I can do that get me 80% of the results? And I'm constantly just trying to figure out, you know, what are, and then also kind of plotting, what is the ease of me being able to implement something versus the impact, right? And so constantly plotting on that and saying, okay, this is the payment method that we're going to turn on next. This is the geography that we're going to go into next. And so we have, you know, obviously a massive ambition of bringing a billion people over the next decade into crypto. So it's okay, we're going to have to turn on every payment method and every geography where we can legally do so and do that and implement it with the very best conversion possible. So that's one component of it. The second component of it is where are the places and distribution points where people are going to want to interact with crypto? Uh, and so for us, that's been obviously working with cryptocurrency wallets. That's obviously a natural extension is things like Ledger, where we can top up uh, the Ledger wallet directly, where you have many people on these devices. That's going to be hopefully an incredible distribution point as your business continues to scale uh, and grow exponentially. You know, we're obviously uh, on that journey with you to have that as a distribution point. Also trying to understand where are people going to be interacting in this new world of Web3. So places like OpenSea, which is one of the largest NFT marketplaces, or uh, some of these new DeFi platforms like Uniswap, where people are uh, starting to explore with decentralized trading. You know, where are all the different use cases? Those are ultimately the places where we need to think about distribution points in terms of installing our infrastructure. So we need to be close to the ground and constantly watching where are people going to want to interact uh, with crypto and interact with Web3 and make sure that we're there um, to help them uh, on that journey of making that infrastructure and that journey easier to go from fiat into this new world of, of Web3. So those are two things. Yeah, no, makes absolute sense. And I think, you know, when, when you when you think about the future, um, there are many things that need to be tackled. Um, and I think, you know, accessibility being at the core of the at the core of the, the, the whole issue with, you know, self-custody, security and all, all the services that are currently being developed by the different, you know, uh, projects around that ecosystem. And, you know, speaking of the future, JF, if I ask you, you know, what excites you the most about the future? What, what would be your answer? 
Well, to me, the, the, the most exciting thing I would say is, uh, I think it's when, even when you will have turned all fiat into crypto, uh, because it's going to happen. Um, and again, I think I, I have the chance at, at Ledger to, uh, to work with people who are based in country around the world um, and talk to them like every day. Um, and when you're closer to markets and, and, and to markets around the world, you take this perspective and, and you just think like, okay, this is really happening. Um, this is the change uh, and I, it's exciting. Uh, I think it's a change that we have to defend and make sure it's happening in the right way and in the hands of us customers. So security, self-custody, I think is super important. It's much simpler than what people think. It's, it's just like getting control of your own destiny, uh, that what is yours is finally yours. Um, and, and starting to uh, operate in, in this new world. So we already have digital lives. I think we need this digital currency and, and it's happening. Um, so that's great. Okay, what about you, Ivan? Well, really well said, Jeff. I, I love this idea of the world where all fiat has been turned into to crypto uh, in the future. Uh, I definitely see it coming. You know, I think uh, from, from my side, you know, when I step back from everything, um, you know, I, I really think about the purpose, the mission, the vision, the mission, what gets me excited every day to wake up and, and work on what I'm working on. And for me, when I look back at my kind of career trajectory and my journey, you know, I've really been fascinated by this idea of democratizing access to value. Like how do we get more and more people to become owners? Like, right. I think a lot of people, you know, they have salaries, they're, they're paid in a particular currency, that currency can be inflated over time. But the idea is like, how do we help people build wealth and help, help take control over their financial futures? And I think part of that comes back to really, you know, the ethos that's behind crypto, which is power back to the user, power back to the individual to be able to take control and ownership uh, over value, right? And value can be described very broadly. That value can represent a lot of different things to people. It can be currency, uh, can be in the form of a digital collectible, it can be in the form of a security. And so, you know, for me, this idea that there's billions of people around the world that don't have access to value, uh, that that hasn't been made simple before, and now we have the technology to do so, you know, I think this is some of the most important work that I can be doing in my life is how do we get as many people onto this new system as possible? And I think, you know, I don't have my stars in the in the cloud, I guess my eyes in the clouds that are, are not realistic. I think, you know, this, you know, it's not going to be a perfect financial system that arises from this, but I think it will be a much more fair and equitable financial system than the one that exists today. Uh, and so I'm super passionate um, about trying to accelerate uh, the movement into this new world of Web3, this new digital economy. Uh, and enabling more people to take control and over ownership over their financial future. Yeah, it's super inspiring. You know, it's all about digital sovereignty. And, you know, to both of your points, you know, being able to own that value, it could be data to Jeff's earlier point about, you know, being able to own your data and monetize it, uh, you know, moving from Web 2 to Web 3 and being rewarded for your participation. I think that's, that's you know, one of the things that inspire me the most as well. Um, so let's move to the darker kind of th side of things. Jeff, what about the things that worry you the most? I think what we're offering today is, is to tell people, okay, con control your own life. Control what is dear to you. Is it, is it your data? Is it your, your money? It's your art? It's your culture? Um, take control. Um, and I think there are forces that tell you, okay, maybe you don't need to control your life and just live your life and get on the rails and, and, and trust the big things, trust the the classic way of living and, and you'll be fine. And by that time, I think you're dead. So uh, I think it's a little effort, but it's worth it. And, and I think this is about what we are proposing today. And we see it's not only about money. Uh, it's about everything that you care about. 
Interesting. What's your take on that? I think what scares me is it comes back to, I think what Ledger is trying to solve, it's really around security, right? Um, you know, there's a big amount of responsibility when people take possession over their private keys and become their own banks uh, to a large extent, right? And so making sure that we set up the appropriate safeguards and protections and enable people to recover uh, their assets and making that user experience better. Um, you know, that's something that I think we, we still have a lot of improvement. And a lot of it is around education and, and the awareness and constantly, I guess, being committed to, to making that uh, easier for folks. Um, and then I think in general, with any new technology wave, I think what's unfortunate, I mean, we've seen that in the past, um, you know, with, with other kind of disruptive technology cycles, but you do have bad actors uh, that enter the ecosystem. And so, you know, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, you have to just try to do your very best. And if that comes back, comes back to, you know, lack of education, improving education for, for everyone to basically understand how to safely interact, you know, not to trust their private keys with other people, you know, not putting them up online for people to see, uh, not trusting websites and, you know, linking their wallets to websites that could be phishing them. Uh, you know, those are the things that, are, that really, you know, it's upsetting to hear when a new, uh, you, you probably have friends or heard of friends that have you know, been sub subject to an attack or a, a cybersecurity threat or, or, or hack. Um, and, and, that, and that's really sad to hear, right? And in a lot of cases, it's, it's you know, they, they, they haven't been around the space and so that they can be taken advantage of. And so, you know, I think it's our duty as leaders of, of companies uh, in the space to try to do our best um, to, to try to educate and inform people to, to have a, a safer journey when they're interacting with this new ecosystem. I think it's very, very complementary uh, one to the other. I think you're preventing the bad guys from entering the system. And in case some would have already been here from before, uh, they are protected by, by the security that we bring. So I think it's, uh, it's a nice association. It's time to move on to our last segment of the show. This is free for all. So for this last segment of the show, I've actually decided to share my power with you. Um, so you can have the possibility to ask each other question each. Um, and, you know, this is our, kind of our own way in participating in decentralization. Uh, feel free to go first. Uh, okay, Zef, I, I guess my, my, what's the best story from your time in crypto? The best story is talking to uh, my colleagues in, uh, in Argentina and in Turkey about the importance of, of, of crypto for them and, and around them. And that's the moment I, I fully realized like, okay, this is unstoppable and this is super useful for people. And there is a network effect. I think many times you see, okay, let's, let's trade a little, you're in front of your computer. But when you realize that for people, it's almost everything they have that relies on crypto, we have a big responsibility. And so that, that was my best moment so far. And I'm very much into this, uh, this topic of countries. My, my question will be about countries. So far for you, what's, what's the most difficult country to, uh, to operate in and, and how do you approach that? Yeah, so unfortunately, there's some countries that are we're just completely blacklit. We we do not support on MoonPay um, that are on the Financial Action Task Force black blacklist. So we just don't operate in those countries. Uh, full stop. Um, you know, obviously, one of the countries we'd love to be able to operate more in is China. Uh, it's obviously a, a huge economy uh, in China, and you know, I think a lot of those those folks in that country uh, obviously are obstructed by currency controls uh, within the country, and so. You know, there, there's obviously a big opportunity there, but I think they've taken uh, a particular pitch position and stance on crypto um, that I think makes it very difficult for any, uh, you know, outside of, of China uh, controlled interest uh, company to, to operate. So, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, all the other tech giants that we built uh, in the Western world haven't made it to China. So it's, I think it would be hard for us 
uh, to operate in, in that particular geography. Um, but, you know, I think for us, it's, you know, we're, we're constantly, you know, I think what we're doing is trying to focus more on the positive of, of the countries where we can have you know, a, a tremendous impact. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially Africa is one of the areas that I'm really interested in. In general, um, we, we made an investment uh, from MoonPay into a company called Yellow Card. Uh, that's uh, one of the most successful exchanges uh, on the ground in Africa. It's really fascinating to see the work that they've been doing. Uh, to turn on more different localized payment methods. And what's really interesting is the use case around remittances uh, is, is actually, you know, uh, a reality there. Um, you know, the, the folks in, are, are very um, passionate about using Bitcoin as a means for, for remittance, as a means to, um, you know, store uh, their, their wealth. And, and so that, that, I think, especially in countries like Nigeria, uh, it's been just fascinating to learn more about that. And so for us to be able to partner and to be able to turn on more of those local payment methods to bring the MoonPay experience to those countries uh, gets me super excited. So, um, you know, hoping to do more work in, in Africa this year. The other the other geography that's super interesting to me is Latin America. Um, again, uh, I think that's a, another uh, continent where a lot of the countries have faced um, challenges um, with, you know, the, their financial systems. In a lot of places, they've seen cases of hyperinflation. They've seen that in their history before. Uh, so it makes sense for them to adopt uh, cryptocurrency more quickly. So I think, you know, it's it's those countries where they're going to leapfrog, where they don't have the legacy financial system already in place. A lot of these people don't have banking full stop. You know, if you look at history, one of the other interesting, interesting things around mobile payments, if you study mobile payments, was what you saw in Kenya with M-Pesa, right? It actually started with people trading phone credits around. It wasn't actually, it wasn't like an intentional service that was built. It was actually people were just trading their phone credits and they were using that as a form of currency. And then that eventually led uh, to development and creation of M-Pesa. Uh, so they basically bypassed the whole creation of having physical bank branches. Obviously it was also a security issue to try to set that up uh, in the middle of, of Africa. And so I think that's, that's really interesting is to look at these geographies where you know, I think they will be the, the early adopters and movers and where you're going to see cryptocurrency actually pervade uh, everyday life and everyday society. Yeah, I love that. Banking the unbanked. So any last words before we wrap up? It was a great rendezvous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope to be in Paris soon, uh, you know, and just honored, uh, you know, honored to work with Ledger. Uh, you know, we've, we've been wanting to work with Ledger for, for quite a while. And, um, you know, it's great to be partners. And I think, you know, there, there's just so much synergy uh, and the way that we look at the world and, and having people more, uh, you know, having more people be able to take control of their financial futures. But thank you for, for the partnership. The honor is for us. Seems like we, we were in violent agreement during this conversation. So if, if people want to, uh, to reach out and participate to the conversation and disagree, or also be in violent agreement and see what we can do uh, all together. I think that's, that's the, the beauty of this podcast. So thank you Mo, for hosting us. Great pleasure. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your coming. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. See you. Thank you. Bye. That's it. If you found this to be interesting, go check MoonPay out in the discovery section in Ledger Live and hit that subscribe button because we've got a lot to come. This was Under Ledger from Paris with your host Moel Sayed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.